All right, so here's what we'll do. We are going to conclude. I'm sad about this. I'm sad that we're going to be concluding the series Heaven because I very much enjoyed talking about Heaven. We'll continue to talk about it a bunch, but this will be the last top talk in the series that we're doing. And so what I would love to do in this is I'm literally just going to give you the main point for this first right from the get-go, right from the beginning, and that is this. So if you want to write this down, some of you know this already, but is this. Heaven is our home. Heaven is is our home. Some of you guys know that. If you know Jesus, you know that heaven is our home. One of my favorite stories that was ever told in this perspective that gives you a great perspective about heaven being our home was about two missionaries who came back from a trip or came back from their time serving on missionaries. I don't know if this is true, but because I'm a pastor, I tell all stories as if they were true. And so these missionaries, this older missionary couple, They'd been serving for 40 years on the mission field, right? Sacrificing, giving up their lives for serving God's cause. And they were on their way home. And when they were on their way home, they got and they landed. And there were all these banners that said, welcome home. And huge crowds and cheering. Because apparently, there was a band that was on the plane. There was a band, some sort of famous band. And they were welcoming that band home. And when the, when the dad or when the guy came off the plane, he, uh, he was bummed. Because he's like, you know what? We served for 40 years. We served God faithfully. We loved him. We, we, we did his work. And yet we don't even have anyone to greet us at the airport when we come home. And the wife wisely nudged him and simply said, you know what, honey? We're not home yet. We are not home. And, and when we enter into heaven and when we enter into home, that will be the party worth waiting for. And so that's the idea here. Heaven is our home. The Bible talks about it. Bible says this, for this world, and specifically this fallen world, earth as we know it, is not our permanent home. We are, and catch this, this was our whole point last week when we were talking, we are looking forward to a home yet to come. We're looking forward to heaven. Bible also says we are citizens, citizens of where? Of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Heaven is our home. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you've gone on vacation. You've had a trip, and that trip maybe took a turn for the worst. Things got bad. Someone got sick. An accident happened. Something happened. Maybe you were just gone for way too long. What is the one thing that you want to do when everything goes wrong on a vacation? What's, like, you would trade anything for it. What is it? It's to go home, right? There is something about going home. No matter how much you enjoy or you don't enjoy your vacation or our adventures, we anticipate coming home. And why do we? Because home, it's like, it's a comfy bed, right? It is, it is a cooked meal, preferably by your mom. It's where your friends come to hang out, right? It's where, uh, it's where your family is. It is like pajamas and microwave popcorn and Christmas morning, and it's just comfortable. There's something about coming home. Now, when my wife and I, and I'm going to throw my wife under the bus here a little bit, when we come home, my wife, this happens after every vacation without fail. We could have been gone three days or three months. My wife, when we come home, she'll literally hit the door, and honey, since you're here, what are your words? Exactly. (laughs) Every time she's running through the house, we're home. She takes her stuff upstairs. I can hear it from downstairs. We're home, right? She's screaming. Like, we're unpacking together. We're home. We're home. We're home. I'm like, why did we even go on vacation? 
We could have saved a whole lot of money, a lot of money if we stayed home. My wife loves coming home. In fact, our little boy, Percy, when we come home now, he actually says, Mommy, home. So we love coming home. We love coming home. We crave it. We desire it. We yearn for it. There's something sweet. There's something deep about it. Just knowing that we can come home is sometimes what allows us to keep going with our days, to know that we can come home. And for some of us, let's be real on this. Some of us, we don't like going home. And we dream about a home that used to be or that was, and it's lost in a period of time, or it's lost in our childhood or in some other moment, and we can never go back to there. But what if we could, right? What if we could? And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not talking time machine here. I don't have a DeLorean in my pocket. I am talking about what if we could recapture that craving, that anticipation of going home, where you're like, I'm home. I'm home home. That is what heaven should do for us. The thought of heaven should be like, I'm coming home. It shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I'm coming home. Heaven should be our reference point. It is the promise of heaven. It's the reality of heaven. It's the anticipation of heaven that should fill us with astounding, absolutely overwhelming, abundant, overflowing hope, right? Heaven is our home. But here's the problem that we have. Think about this. We rarely think about heaven. How often throughout the day do we dwell on heaven? I know some of you are like, well, I thought about it a lot this week because we're in a heaven series. Okay, but normally, on a normal week, when do you think about heaven? Not very often. The reality of eternity rarely impacts our lives today. The reality of eternity rarely impacts our lives today. We live as if heaven is an afterthought as if it's something that's way down the road and you know what, I'll get there when I get there and I'll, I'll do that when I do that. But too, right now, I'm busy doing this. And so somehow we've forgotten about our home in our everyday life or the fact that we get to go home. And here's what Paul says. Paul is a great apostle and he gives us this great reminder. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights or your mind or your focus or your thoughts on what? Check this out. This is amazing. The realities of heaven on eternity, our eventual eternal home, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then like Paul, what he does now is he repeats himself. And the reason we repeat ourselves, right, is so that something can be remembered. And so he repeats himself, and he says again, think about the things of heaven. So dwell on heaven, dream about heaven, not the things of earth. Why? For you died to this life and your real life. So who we really are is hidden with Christ in God, in heaven. And when Christ, who is your life or the source of our lives, is revealed to the whole world, you, we, anybody who knows Jesus and has a relationship with him, will share in all his glory. That is so powerful. That's a phenomenal reminder that the reality of eternity should greatly impact how we live today. It should impact our lives. And so what Paul is saying in a nutshell is this. Live with the end in mind. We've got to live with the end in mind. A lot of times we're like, well, you got to begin. It'd be wise to begin with the end in mind. I'm saying our whole lives, we should live with the end in mind. When we started this series, I did an illustration. If you were here, 
I pulled out a rope, and I took this rope, and I explained that this little section right here represents our life, right? This is where we were born, and we said hello to our mother for the very first time. And then this is where she got mad at us. the twos, right? And then we moved on, and then all of a sudden, life happened and everything and, and, and whatnot. And then what, what, at some point in time, we're going to reach the end of our life, right? And then we have eternity from that point on. This represents your life. This represents eternity. And what I did, and apparently I got a knot in the rope. I don't know if that's possible in heaven. But I took this rope, and I, I ran it all the way around the room, and I came back, and I explained it's that long, but it goes then, and it wraps around the world, and it wraps around the universe. And that is this part right here. What we do here affects all of this, all of this. It's crazy to think about. And so we should live our lives with this in mind. You know what I'm saying? Not just this, not just how great is my retire going to be for those few years. I'm talking about this. This is how we should live with this end in mind. And so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about um, what are the benefits of living with the end in mind. And I'm going to get personal. I'm going to kind of do it from, instead of starting with scripture on this one, I'm actually going to start with how has it affected my wife and me? in this piece. This is what's changed as we have started to live with the end in mind. And the first is this, is that we have a longing for heaven. When you live, when we live with the end in mind, we have a longing for heaven. We desire it. We crave it. We want it. I think about heaven all the time. You've heard me say that. I truly do. Every day throughout the day, I think about heaven. Paul said this, and by the way, I didn't always think about heaven. For me as well, heaven was an afterthought. I did not think about it all the time. But here's what Paul said in huge words here. He says, to live is Christ. And another way to say that, because it's kind of confusing, is I live for Christ in everything that I do. I live for Christ in everything that I do. And to die is gain. And wow, I mean, you gain when you die. I desire to depart this world and be with Christ, and he is in the intermediate heaven, or the present heaven, which is better by far. So Paul is saying that heaven is better than where we're at right here. Paul also said this, he says, as long as we are at home in the body or on earth here, we are away from the Lord, because obviously he's in heaven. We would prefer, and we would wish, we would desire to be away from the body, and at home, our real home, our eternal home, with the Lord. With the Lord. We would have a longing for heaven. The reason I don't think we have a longing for heaven, the reason that it becomes an afterthought, is because I actually believe there's a real enemy involved in this situation. If there's God, if the Bible tells us that God is real, right? And if God is real, the Bible also tells us that there is an enemy. Satan is in this equation. And I believe he's the reason behind our apathy. He's the reason we don't um, get excited that it's heaven is an afterthought. And for many of us, that we actually fear death. We fear when death will come and all of a sudden, knock, 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 and then we're headed out. And like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to go. Because we get anxious at those period of time. But we need to rethink about this with eternity in mind. It's kind of like a party, right? 
Um, if you go to a party, say you went to a party, and you went there, and you got there a little bit early, and you're there, and you're with a couple of your friends, and the music's good, and there's a few good appetizers, there's a little bit of good food, and, and the conversations are going, but it's not really doing that great. It's not that great of a party, and, and you're thinking, if I just stay here long enough, if I just hang out, maybe I can maybe bring life to this party, and you think that's going to happen, so if I just stay long enough, but then your friend taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, it's time to go. And none of us, just like we don't want to leave this life, none of us want to leave the party early. No one wants to leave a party early. I'm out. I got to go. And, but they take you, and they put you in the car, and you come, head out to the car, and they drop you off at your house. So you're back at your house, and you had to leave a little bit early. And you're walking in your house, and you didn't turn on the porch light, so it's dark, right? And as you're reaching for the doorknob, you have this feeling, right, that you're not the only one there. You have this feeling that something's, something's off. And so you open the door, and all of a sudden, the lights flip on, and everybody you know screams, surprise, right? People you know, people you love, all your friends are there. Your favorite music is playing right at this point. You, your favorite food is on the, on the appetite. Like, you've got food up on the menu right there. And all of a sudden, your other friends are starting to come in back from the back, the ones that were at the first party, and they're like, dude, we got you, you know? This is the real party. And that's what heaven should be. That is what heaven is. It's the real party. And we're scared to leave the other one because we don't want to go to the real one. But when you enter into heaven, there's going to be celebration like nobody's business. It's going to be so good. And you won't be thinking about that other party whatsoever. When, uh, when Maggie got her diagnosis, and I know I'm talking about her a lot, but obviously because of a heaven series, it ha applies a lot. We experienced what was called anticipatory grief. And anticipatory grief, um, the doctors tell us, that's when you start to grieve the loss of your child or of a person before they actually leave. So we were with Maggie, and I remember feeling like I've already lost her type of thing, feelings of loss, because there was nothing that I could do to change it. But I would say now, after she is gone, and after we have a new perspective on heaven, there are times, not all the time, I don't want to paint that picture, but there are times when we experience what we would call anticipatory joy because we know what is about to come. We anticipate the joy that will be there of seeing her again. And it took the death of my daughter to give us this heavenly perspective. And I pray that it doesn't take tragedy for us to all open our eyes. I hope that we can just open our eyes just by understanding, right? Just by, by anticipating heaven and knowing and picturing what it will actually be like, because it's gonna be so, so good. Living with the end in mind, with eternity in mind, gives us a longing for what is to come. It gives us a longing for a future. But it also does something else. It gives us peace in the present. Again, not all the time. Not all the time, but we get peace in the present. Here's what the Gospel of Luke says. It says, blessed are you when people hate you, when you, they exclude you, insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. So because of Jesus. Here's what it says. The gospel writer says this. He says, rejoice in that day. So the day that they tear you down, the day they rip you apart, the day that you feel ostracized, the day that it all falls down apart, he's saying rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Right? I've never leaped for joy in my life, but, but leap for joy. I might when I enter into heaven, I'll be just like, woohoo, we're here. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's what I'll do. Probably not, but... Um, <laughs> But I'll leap for joy. Why? Because great 
is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. That is a perspective shift, right? Great is our reward. I can get through this right now because I know what is coming down the road. It's a matter of perspective. Think about this. If you're going to, and this is a certainty thing, receive a check for $1 billion next Sunday, right? Next Sunday, it's an absolute. You're going to get a check for a billion dollars. I'll write it and pretend it cashes, okay? So it goes through. Billion dollars, you're going to get it. How big would your financial problems be next week? The week leading up to it, right? Would you be really worried about money? Would you be worried about, I mean, not in the slightest. If you could only afford a can of soup and you just open that thing up, you'd be totally okay because you're thinking, I got a billion dollars coming on Sunday. A billion dollars. I'm going to be fine. This is totally okay. I don't even need a house. Forget my house. I'm getting a new house, right? (laughs) I'm going to have different food. I'm going to eat lobster, all right? I'm going to have crab. I'm going to have steak. If you're wondering what I like, I have fine taste in food right there. But yes, I'm going to have that. No more beans because you have a billion dollars. How would that change your worries? How would that change your perspective if you knew that was coming? And it's the same thing with heaven. It gives us peace in the process, peace in the present. Everything will be okay. And so we don't have to worry about it, right? We don't have to worry about it. Hear me on this. Knowing that our suffering will be relieved, Knowing that our suffering will be relieved does not make our suffering suffering easy, but it does make it bearable. It does make it bearable. Anticipating heaven doesn't eliminate pain, but it does put pain in a perspective that lessens it just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's a matter of perspective. The last thing that I feel like... uh, Living for eternity or living with the end in mind will do is it will give you an urgency to share. It has given me an urgency to share. The reason this church is here is because I feel like we got to share. I have to share what God has done. I've got to share what? Share the gospel. Share Jesus. Share the promise that he have, that he's given to each and every single one of us. Right? That he came on this earth, he took what we could not carry, the sin, missing the mark. He took that on his shoulders, he died on a cross. And when he rose again, he proved that he was God. And by proving that he was God, he gave us this promise afterwards saying, hey, I want to spend eternity with you, but just believe in me. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. And because of that, we can look forward to heaven. And because of that, I have an urgency to share in my life, and I hope we would gain that urgency in this church. I want that urgency here. There's a bunch of people, I've heard this saying many times, where people will say, well, they're so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. How many have heard that before? Yeah. That is the most ridiculous phrase I've ever heard in my life. It is not true in the slightest, because if you're truly tuned into the things of heaven, I don't believe it's I believe it's impossible to not have an impact on this earth. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about that exact thing. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world, so here and now, were precisely those or the same ones who thought the most of the next, or they thought about the eternity and heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world again, thinking about heaven, that they or we have become so ineffective, so ineffective in this, in this world, and in this lifetime. 
When we think about heaven, when heaven's on the brain, it gives us a proper perspective and hopefully we would have an urgency to share what God has done for us. It's huge. And so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. I'm not done yet. But what I'd like to do is I have a couple closing thoughts, but I want us to be ready because we're going to end things a little bit differently today. And so here's the first thought I want to end. If we're going to close this series out, this series on heaven, there's a couple things that I really think are important to know. And one of them is this. It's, you've heard this before, I'm sure, but Jesus is the way. If you're wondering how to get to heaven, it's very clear. Jesus is the way. Nobody knows the moment that they're going to go. Nobody knows when their time's up. Nobody can truly describe the exact picture of what heaven is, but it is crystal clear. It is so known the way to get to heaven. How do you get there? Here's what Jesus said. He says, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you with me so that you also may be where I am. So where is Jesus? He is in the present heaven. You know, and then here it is, the way to the place where I am going. And this confused the disciples. And so Thomas spoke up and he said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus answered when this famous verse, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. To get to heaven, you are not going to find it by getting on I-5 and following it as north as you can possibly get, right? It's not going to take you there. It's not a road that you can find from here. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. And he says, if you want to be in eternity with me, if you want to experience the joys of this life, then you truly need to know me. So if you know Jesus, you know you can be going to heaven and that you are going to heaven. But if you don't know, that's a big question right there. If you don't know Jesus, then we take these cards every single time and on it, it says on that place, check this box if you want to know more about following Jesus. I don't want to do this. What I don't want to do is I don't want to put on these little check mark box. Ah, you know, I decided to follow Christ today. And then you get an email from us and you're done. Because this decision is so much bigger than that. Really what I would like to do is I'd like to offer you an opportunity to have conversations. So if you have questions about Jesus and you're interested in following him, it's not just a quick little one decision and now I'm done. This is a life-altering decision. And so we want you to take it seriously. So we will follow up with you if you check that box. But I pray, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would have the courage to check that box. And we will follow up with you. Because if you know Jesus, you can know that you are going to heaven. Here's the last thing. <coughs> and this is, I've been wanting to say this for a while, and I haven't found a way to put it into the, uh, the talks yet. So now I'm just going to use it as an afterthought, Okay. This is super important. The veil is thin. And here's what I mean by that. The veil between this world and the next world is so thin. That, what I'm saying there is I believe heaven is closer to us than we could possibly imagine. Way closer. The, word, the term veil was used in, um, in the old temple. There was a veil that was in between uh, where the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ten Commandments, where the, um, the presence of God rested in the Holy of Holies. And there was this veil that was in front of it. And on that veil, that veil was ripped in half when Jesus 
came and he died in that moment that he died. And the veil between heaven and earth, between this life and the next life, between our physical bodies and the spiritual life that is out there is so thin, I believe you can see through it at times. I truly, truly do. Hebrews talks about the fact that we are entertaining angels. There are angels among us, right? They're watching our actions. They're watching what we're doing. They're paying attention to us because heaven is right there. And this was never more evident than what we went through when we walked through things with Maggie. And here's what I mean by that. There was a pastor. I was at Overlake at the time, and his name was John, Pastor John. He was our worship pastor. And literally an hour after Maggie passed, he decided to share with us that he believed and he felt that God told him that Jesus was meeting with Maggie in her dreams. That Jesus was meeting with Maggie in her dreams. And typically, if anybody ever comes up to me and said, God told me to tell you, I'm going to tell you what. I put up big caution flags because you just don't throw that phrase out very often. That's a very powerful statement right there. And John had never said that to me before. And John's not the type of guy that would actually say those kind of things. So I actually paid very close attention to that. And he says, I feel like Jesus has been meeting Maggie in her dreams. And I thought to myself, okay, well, that's really nice, John. Thank you. And we hugged him, and we didn't think about that until we went back, and we realized that Maggie had actually confirmed this in us as well with her own words that this was happening. My wife, amazingly enough, she's a great mom. She wrote down a lot of the things our kids said. And so we went back and looked at what Maggie said, and here's some of the things that Maggie said. One morning, Maggie woke up, and she told us, in the night, I heard voices in my bed. You need to understand, she's three years old. Okay? I heard voices in my bed, and it was the Lord. He told me, we love you. Now, that is unbelievably amazing. And what's so crazy about that is either she misheard God, or she's the most theologically correct <laughs> three-year-old that I have ever encountered in my life because she said, we, the Holy Trinity, we love you. She probably heard it right. There was another time in the middle of the night. We recorded this. It was dark, so you can't really see anything, but you can hear it. And Maggie over and over again is saying, you know, I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. And we started thinking to ourselves, like, did you have a nightmare? What's happening here? She was very upset, very upset. And we finally calmed her down, and we asked her, you know, did you have a dream about heaven? And she said, yes, I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. I want to go to heaven. I want to go now. Another morning, totally separate from these, Davy asked her, so how'd you sleep, Megs? And Maggie said, I'm sad because I dreamed about heaven and I want to go there and be with Jesus. I'm sad for that. I want to go, is what she said. When we were at the hospital and we were there often, we went every morning for six weeks to do radiation. One of the craziest things that happened while we were there, and I'm talking to you, the veil is thin. It's so thin. One of the craziest things that happened was that when Maggie would go under anesthesia, she would do this same routine each time. She would lift her hands up towards heaven and lean back. And you can see this right here. This is her. And the doctor who was there told us that they had never seen a child do this type of behavior before. Never has any other kid do this. And Maggie would do it almost, that's the doctor right there. Almost every time that this would happen, Maggie would reach her hands up to the sky and lean backwards. He's putting in the medicine. She hated it. It didn't taste well. But the moment that it did, and the moment it took, 
she would reach her hands up into the sky and she would fall backwards just like that every time. It's like she was reaching for something. The veil is thin. The veil is thin. Heaven is so much closer than we think that it is. A few months ago, or now about six months ago now, I went to Ocean Shores with my family. And when we were there, and when we were at Ocean Shores, this was a little bit after Maggie passed, and I was really, I was just not knowing how to deal with life. And so I got up early in the morning. I don't normally get up early in the morning, but I got up early in the morning, and I went for a run on the beach. And I was the only one there. I was the only one there, and I was running, and all of a sudden I stopped, and I just stopped, and I sat on the beach, And I looked out at the ocean and I thought to myself, that's how far she feels at this point. She's so far, I can't see her. As far as that ocean is, that's the distance I feel between me and my daughter. And it's sometimes the distance we feel between those people that have left us, that have gone before us, that have entered into the party a little bit early, right? A little before us. And I remember thinking, she's so far away. She's so far gone. And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it in this life. All the waves are coming. I feel like they're going to crash on top of me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. The tide will come in and I'll be wiped away. Just, Just those moments. I was feeling those moments. And they were difficult. And then I thought, you know, one day, one day a ship is going to hit the horizon. And I'll be looking at it and it's going to come down. It's my ship. My ship will have come in. And it'll come up to the shore and it'll park. And it's going to be there and Jesus will be on that ship. Right? It'll be him. Because he's the only way. He's the only one that knows the way in between the worlds. And so he'll invite me aboard. And I don't know if my family will be there or who will be there or what's going on on the shore. But I'm going to step onto that boat. And that boat's going to back out and it's going to turn and it's going to go out into the ocean. Right? And this will be the same for you. One day, this will be you. You will be on this boat. You will be going that direction. And pretty soon, you're going to hit the horizon. Right? From the perspective of the people and of our family and those left behind, it's going to hit the horizon. And they're going to say, yep, they're gone. That's the moment that they're gone. Right? But they're not really gone, are they? Think about that. They're just out of our sight. They're still there. They're still on the water. And the moment that we're waving goodbye and so long and, you know, and, and, and whatnot is the moment that there are other people saying, here they come. Here he comes. Here she comes. And you're going to come up and I'm going to come through that horizon and I'm going to go over there and there's going to be another beach. And there's going to be a little girl on that beach. And she's going to say, come home, Daddy. And you will have your loved ones there. And your family ones, your, your family will be there. Those who knew Jesus and who have gone on before will be right there in that moment. And they're saying, come home. That's not our home. This is our home. This is where we belong. This is where we were, what we were made for. Guys, that's going to be a good day. That is going to be a great day. That will be the best day of our life thus far. And then every day past that is just going to get better. We have so much to look forward to. 
Heaven is our home. It's right there. Why do we not think about it? Why do we not dwell on it? I hope, I pray that our lives, that we will live with heaven in mind because it provides hope. It provides peace and an urgency to grab those we love and say, come on, you gotta go here with me. Let's go together. Let's do this together. We're gonna close out like this. A little different, like I said. I'm not going to pray to end our service. In just a section, in a section I'm going to read a section of, and a couple paragraphs written by C.S. Lewis in a book that's called the, the Last Battle. And if you've read any of the Narnia books, this is the story of coming home, of coming back to Narnia, of coming to heaven. And it is such a beautiful word picture. And afterwards, we're going to take an offering. And afterwards, we're going to sing another song about heaven. But right now, I would love it if you would, honestly, just close your eyes in this moment. And I want you to hear these words. I want you to hear this description, this beautiful description, a glimpse of Narnia and a glimpse of heaven. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for my whole life, though I never knew it until now. Come further up. Come further in. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. And all the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories of Narnia. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, for those in the story, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover, the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's worship him.